Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, The Word Network, which bills itself as the world's largest African-American Christian broadcast network, it's in trouble with the IRS. We'll also have an update on former Hillsong pastor Carl Lentz. He's now the subject of a television documentary series, and he's not very happy about it. And in the last segment of our program, we'll remember Tim Keller and Harry Reader two prominent pastors who died in the past week. I knew both of these exceptional men, and I'll share a few memories. We begin today with a couple of stories about the national religious broadcasters who had their annual conference in Orlando, Florida this week. That's right. I was there, in fact, uh, for most of the conference, and it took place in Orlando. It's an association of Christian media outlets, and they've joined in a lawsuit uh, seeking to block a California law that would require social media companies to publish their policies on removing hate speech from their platforms. Uh Gavin Newsom signed AB 587 last September, and at that time he said in a statement, California will not stand by as social media is weaponized to spread hate and disinformation that threaten our communities and foundational values as a country. Under the law, companies must disclose in detail how they will remove content, including hate speech, disinformation, extremism, harassment, and foreign political interference. Internet freedom and tech lobbying organizations, as well as the California Chamber of Commerce, have opposed the bill since it was introduced by Democratic Assemblyman Jesse Gabriel. Yeah, and you might not think that religious groups would join in with you know, these tech lobbying groups, but in fact, they have. Faith-based and other conservative groups have also objected to the law. In adding its name to the lawsuit, the National Religious Broadcasters, in fact, joins Babylon B, which is a conservative-leaning satirical site that has been banned at different times from social media sites, and also Tim Poole, a conservative podcaster. And that's not the only news coming out of the National Religious Broadcasters this week. No, you're right about that. Uh, NRB also announced that John Ankerberg has been re-elected to its board of directors. Now, just weeks ago, Ankerberg's organization, the Ankerberg Theological Resource Research Institute, was suspended from membership in the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. The ECFA suspended Ankerberg or Ankerberg's organization while it was under review for compliance with three of the ECFA's seven standards for financial accountability. The review of Ankerberg's organization by the ECFA comes after a former fundraising executive at the organization went public with concerns about how Ankerberg used nearly $20 million raised to fund audio Bibles. For years, ECFA membership was required for National Religious Broadcasters board members, but that requirement was dropped after popular broadcaster David Jeremiah lost its ECFA membership back in 2010. So in 2015, NRB changed its rules and dropped the ECFA requirement. 
Well, these are not the only Christian broadcasters in the news this week. The owners of one of the largest religious TV networks in the country is being sued by the Internal Revenue Service for almost $18 million in estate and gift taxes. That network is the Word Network. Kevin Adell, whose father Franklin started the network in 1999 as World Religious Relief, is accused of not paying the estate and gift tax liabilities owed by his father's estate after his death in 2006. The federal case filed in civil court in the Eastern Division of Michigan alleges that Franklin Adele's estate was valued at more than $32 million at the time of his death. The IRS is seeking an order to sell a Michigan mansion, an 8,400-square-foot Michigan mansion, in fact, that's worth about $3.7 million and use the proceeds to pay some of this tax liability. Adele has other multimillion-dollar homes, including one in Naples, Florida, and another in Utah near the Sundance Film Festival location, according to reports by the Trinity Foundation. He's denied that he owes the taxes. He told the Detroit Free Press, eventually it will get worked out. They want to embarrass me to pay. Uh, He said that the taxes are not owed by him, but by his father, who, of course, is now dead. After Franklin Adele's death, Kevin Adele filed an estate tax return in 2007, reported, though, that $15 million in taxes were, in fact, owed. Uh, the estate paid about $8 million of that $15 million and elected to defer the other $7 million for five years to be paid in 10 installments. The court documents allege that only two installment payments were made and over $9 million is now owed, including interest and penalties. The Word Network was founded in 2000 by Adele and his father, and it's based in Southfield, Michigan. It is self-described as the largest African-American religious network in the world and claims uh, to be available in more than 200 countries around the world. It airs broadcasts uh, from the ministries of Bishop T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, Bill Winston, Rod Parsley, Joseph Prince. In other words, it specializes mostly in prosperity gospel preachers. No record of any Form 990 tax returns for World Religious Relief can be found after about the year 2012, and at that time, the organization had about $18 million in revenue. The Adels have created a maze of both nonprofit and for-profit entities intertwining with the Word Network. Among them are organizations called STN.com and the International Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, They are for-profit companies that provide production and broadcasting services to the Word Network. Now, most of the $18.2 million that we know about from back in 2012 was, in fact, paid to the International Broadcasting Corporation for Contracted Services, according to the Form 990. Uh, Kevin Adele is the CEO of that organization. He was paid $450,000 and over $5 million from related organizations. In 2015, the IRS revoked the group's tax-exempt status. A tax lien of $3.7 million was also filed against the Religious Broadcasting Network. 
In 2018, Adel incorporated Church of the Word and gave it the trade name Word Network Church. Churches are not required to file Form 990s. He also incorporated Word Network Operating Company in Delaware, which then registered a trademark for Word, Word Network Church, resulting in one nonprofit and one for-profit organization sharing the same name. So clearly, there's some obfuscation going on here. Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, former Southern Baptist Convention President Johnny Hunt is back in the news. We'll explain why. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, up next is the story we promised before the break. It's the story of Johnny Hunt, the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Well-known Southern Baptist Convention leader and pastor Johnny Hunt has occupied positions within the denomination that provided access for his and his family's network of nonprofit and for-profit businesses. That, according to reporting by the news organization Baptist News Global. Hunt was disgraced last year when the SBC Executive Committee released its report that included a credible accusation that he had sexually assaulted a married woman. Hunt maintains that the encounter, though inappropriate, was not an assault, but was rather consensual. Warren, before we get into all the connections uncovered by the Baptist News Global, it might be helpful to recap just how influential Johnny Hunt was and is in the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, In the 1980s, uh, he became pastor of First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, which is a suburb just north of Atlanta, and it grew into one of the largest churches in the country. Uh, Fast forward a decade or more, and in 1996, he was elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention's Pastors Conference. Uh, Then the next year, in 1997, Southeastern Seminary, his alma mater, established the Johnny Hunt chair of biblical preaching. A decade after that, 2008, he was elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention. But it appears that it was in 2018 that his career took a turn. 
In 2018, Hunt left his position as lead pastor at First Baptist Woodstock and became the Senior Vice President of Evangelism and Leadership at the SBC's North American Mission Board, sometimes abbreviated to NAMB or NAMB, a position that seems to provide opportunity for increased entanglement between Hunt's businesses and the SBC. Now, Namby had been a client of Johnny Hunt Ministries, which is a nonprofit that handles Hunt's conferences and speaking engagements. Hunt is the CEO of that organization, and his wife and two sons-in-law are listed as officers of Johnny Hunt Ministries. Hunt was the past CEO and a frequent speaker as well at an organization called New Song Ministries, which manages the extreme conferences for students and the Winter Jam tour concerts. These are wildly popular events, events uh, that are also, by the way, promoted within the SBC. New Song Ministries is led by Eddie Carswell, uh, who is the son of one of the founders of New Song, and he also uh, happens to be Johnny Hunt's son-in-law. In 2020, New Song Ministries reported annual revenue of almost $13 million. Hunt is also involved in travel and spiritual retreat organizations. He is. In fact, around 1994, he started and served as chair of the Timothy Barnabas Retreats, which is designed to help prevent burnout among pastors and their families. In 2012, he began partnering with Namby to present the retreats and offer scholarships to pastors who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford it. And in 2018, 18, uh, he joined Namby as senior vice president. Hunt gave the ministry to Namby ostensibly, though uh, it did continue to operate. The retreat ministry is now called Refresh by the North American Mission Board, and its annual revenue is about $900,000. And that's not his only foray into retreat and travel. That's right. In fact, if it was just doing these retreats, you might think, well, that's providing a good service. But he also uh, has a travel company that provides uh, charter services to some of these retreats. And when he gave the original organization to the Timothy Barnabas retreat organization to Namby, he started another one. It's called Advanced, and they do retreats in luxury locations. The next one, in fact, is scheduled for October at the Weston Grand Cayman Seven Mile Beach Resort and Spa. And travel for both Timothy Barnabas and Advanced Retreats has been organized by an organization called 3H Travel. Guess what? It's a travel agency owned by Hunt's daughter, Holly Hickson. It also appears that Hunt is making money off of publishing and distribution organization he either owns or controls. Any group that utilizes Hunt's books or materials, which might include, in fact, these retreats, uh, other North American Mission Board uh, initiatives, New Song Ministries or Timothy Barnabas, or, of course, the Johnny Hunt Ministries itself, they have to interact with 3H Publishers. Hunt's wife, Janet, is the chief financial officer and secretary for the company. Tour buses for conferences and concerts are provided by Carswell Motorsports, which is, again, owned by Hunt's son-in-law, John, and it employs some of Johnny Hunt's grandchildren. In fact, several of the Hunt-related businesses are located at the same location, 309 Belt Park, which is also a limited liability company to which they 
they pay rent. And Hunt's son-in-law, John Carswell, owns that business too. Well, these relationships are certainly unusual and very interesting, and some of them even a little troubling. But are they unethical or illegal? That's not exactly clear. The Internal Revenue Service does have laws and regulations that prohibit self-dealing. That means using nonprofits uh, in, in order to do business with companies that the leaders of the, those, those nonprofits might own or control. Uh, and there are laws against what is called private enormment, which is just a fancy way of saying that a nonprofit is paying its uh, leaders too much money or paying an executive in ways that make it difficult to determine what the real compensation is. We should also consider that the North American Mission Board has a conflict of interest policy that discourages precisely these kinds of transactions. Uh, and, and, and I'm quoting here, discourages business transactions with a trustee or employee or a business enterprise in which a trustee or employee has an interest. And as I've already described, Natasha, that is clearly what is happening here. Hunt and the North American Mission Board didn't respond to questions from the Baptist News Global about this network of businesses and the potential conflicts of interest raised by their interactions with the organization. Orrin, let's pivot in our conversation. Former Hillsong pastor Carl Lentz is featured in a new documentary airing on FX and Hulu. He's interviewed extensively, but he's now saying the TV series is misrepresenting him. The show is called The Secrets of Hillsong. It's a four-part series streaming on FX and Hulu, and it purports to be the first time that Carl Lentz uh, has uh actually spoken on camera. Now, some of you might remember Carl Lentz, a fallen celebrity pastor, one time called not the high priest, but the hype priest of Hillsong. And he was former spiritual mentor to NBA basketball players and entertainers, including Justin Bieber. Uh, now, though, in the new documentary series, which is produced in partnership with Vanity Fair and based on their early reporting of the Hillsong scandal, Lentz acknowledged that there was a power dynamic at play in his relationship with his assistant with whom he had an affair. It actually was a nanny for his children. But he denies that the behavior was abusive and suggests that the relationship was consensual. He did, though, admit that it was wrong. Lentz has since gone on social media to say that even though he agreed to be interviewed, they had no control over the final product. When you say they, I should add that it was both Carl Lentz and his wife who were interviewed for the program, which is kind of unusual in and of itself. But he said that uh, by agreeing to the program, both of them said that it was a decision that they made that would they hoped further the healing process that they were going through as a couple. Uh, Lentz recently uh, took a consulting position at Transformation Church, which is a megachurch in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where his family now resides. He said in an Instagram post that he is neither preaching nor overseeing people, but his role is to give perspective and insight where I can. Or and let's look at one more story before we take another break. It's the latest in a string of successes for the TV series The Chosen. Lionsgate has acquired worldwide distribution rights for The Chosen, the hit TV series based on the life of Jesus. The film studio, which has distributed such movies as Knives Out, La La Land, and the 
John Wick franchise uh, has made a sub-licensing deal with Angel Studios, who produced the series. The Chosen was launched in 2019 and bills itself as the first ever multi-season series about the life of Christ. It's a it's crowdfunded and free for viewers to stream through the Chosen app. Episodes 1 and 2 of Season 3 were released in theaters last November to great success, grossing over $8 million over the weekend and ranking third in total weekend sales. As it has risen in popularity, The Chosen has been the subject of both controversy and acclaim. It has. Uh, Paul Schrader, uh, the legendary Hollywood uh, filmmaker, screenwriter for The Taxi Driver and uh, wrote uh, and directed First Reformed and other great movies, uh, has praised The Chosen as what he calls the exception among often lackluster faith-based films. Numerous uh, fans have expressed appreciation for the show's artistry and how it has helped them to better understand Jesus. In October of 2022, though the series came under fire for what some believe to be a reference to the Book of Mormon, uh, Angel Studios was founded by Mormon brothers, including the current CEO, Neil Harmon. Dallas Jenkins, the creator and producer of The Chosen, said his priority is to be faithful to Scripture and that The Chosen is not a substitute for God's Word. Yeah, this is what Dallas Jenkins said. He said, I had come from a conservative Bible-believing background. I'm a strong evangelical who believes that the Bible is God's word. So we start with that as our primary source of truth and inspiration, and we don't change it. Uh, yet at the same time, Jenkins explained, as long as we know what Scripture is and what it isn't, I think that we're free to imagine and to think about these people because they were people, human beings, just like we are. Warren, we are going to take another break here when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? By now, the evangelical world knows of the death of Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Keller was an influ influential Presbyterian church in America pastor who founded a network of evangelical churches in New York City. He was 72 years old. He died of 
pancreatic cancer and its complications. Keller founded Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan in 1989 and grew the congregation from just a few dozen people to a megachurch with more than 5,000 members. It was also the hub of a network of churches and other ministries that spread throughout the city. He was also a best-selling author. His 2008 book, The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism, uh, did reach and stay on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, the book, His books have sold more than 3 million copies. He had been under treatment for pancreatic cancer after announcing in June of 2020 that he had the disease. On Thursday, May 18th, Keller's son, Michael Keller, posted a message that his father had been released from the hospital and would receive hospice care at home. He died at home the following day. Now, when you knew Tim Keller, do you have anything you want to add here? Well, first, I want to emphasize that I did not know Tim well, though I first met him more than 30 years ago. My brother-in-law, Lane Arthur, was in graduate school at Columbia University in New York when one afternoon he got a call from Tim to ask if he'd like to help with the planting of a church in New York City. Uh, my brother-in-law, Lane, said yes, and he and his wife, my sister Jackie, helped plant um, Redeemer Church, and they were uh, among those few dozen people that I mentioned earlier that were there at the very beginning, and they were there until Lane ended up getting his Ph.D. from Columbia, and they had to leave New York. But it was through them that I first met Tim, and from them that I got sort of a firsthand account of those early days. And I'd like to add, too, that it was all also, with my sister Jackie's help, that I was able to get an interview with Tim Keller just a few months ago. Uh, you know, obviously, we now know that this was just a few months before his death, in which he talked about his life, his legacy, how the cancer that he has had has strengthened his faith, and other uh, topics that I found to be very nourishing and interesting myself, and I know a lot of our readers already have. We've transcribed that interview and posted it on the Ministry Watch website, and we've also got a lot more coverage of Tim Keller's life and the lessons that it has for pastors and ministry leaders. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we often write about megachurch leaders who let power go to their heads. Tim was not one of those guys, and uh, in fact, I'd especially like to recommend to you Caitlin Beatty's excellent article, Five Ways Tim Keller Was the Anti-Celebrity Celebrity Pastor. Again, it's right on the front page of the website, or just type Tim Keller into the search engine and all of our coverage will pop up. Tim Keller was so well-known, and his death overshadowed the death of another significant Christian leader. That's right. Briarwood Presbyterian Church senior pastor Harry Reeder was killed in a car crash on May 18th, just the day before Tim Keller passed away, uh, near Birmingham, Alabama. Reeder was 75 years old, had been the pastor at Briarwood, which is sometimes called the mother church of the PCA denomination, Presbyterian Church in America, since 1999. Reader and his wife, Cindy, are natives of Charlotte, North Carolina, and have three children and 10 grandchildren. That's right. And I got to know Harry during his tenure as pastor of Christ Covenant Church. 
uh, here in the Charlotte area, Charlotte suburb of Matthews. He started when there were just uh, less than 100 people there and built it into, again, one of the most uh, influential churches in the PCA and also one of the largest. In fact, I think it's important for ministry readers to know uh, something about Harry Reader's life because it, if it was not for Harry Reader and Christ Covenant Church, you might not be listening uh, to this right now or reading Ministry Watch today. Harry Reader was a huge encouragement to me personally in my journalism career, and a member of the staff of Christ Covenant Church, Bernie Lawrence, was one of the founding board members of Ministry Watch. These are all reasons that I hope you'll go to the Ministry Watch website and uh, look both at the obituary for Harry Reader that we published there, as well as my essay of appreciation for Harry's life and work that explains even further some of the connections that um, Harry Reader has to the work that we're doing here at Ministry Watch today. And who did Christina Darnell feature in Ministries Making a Difference? Samaritan's Purse has so far approved 35 Mississippi families for its mobile home replacement program. Local installers will be setting up mobile homes in the coming weeks for residents of Amory, Rolling Fork, and Silver City, Mississippi, who lost everything in the deadly March 24th tornado and who didn't have the insurance or were well underinsured and in desperate need of the kind of help that Samaritan's Purse is now providing. I also want to uh, mention Bibles for the World. They have a hospital in Manipur, India, which has been providing medical care to victims of ethnic violence that broke out in that part of India earlier this month. At least 70 people were reportedly killed, with many more missing, and about 35,000 people were forced to flee their homes. Uh, three of the nonprofit's church partners in the area are now refugee camps where teams are providing medicine, food, and essentials. By the way, I also want to mention that Bibles for the World uh, has one of our top donor confidence scores, a uh, donor confidence score of 92 out of 100. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I was in Orlando this week for the annual meeting of the National Religious Broadcasters, and it was great to see a lot of Ministry Watch readers and supporters there, including some who came out for a lunch I hosted there on Monday. I'll be doing similar lunches in Colorado Springs, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and in Los Angeles during the month of June, in part to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Ministry Watch. So please keep an eye on your inbox for invitations to those events and for more content related to our 25th anniversary, including an interview on this podcast with our founders, Rusty and Carol Leonard. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Anne Stike, Jessica Leah, Roxanne Stone, Bob Smetania, Alejandra Molina, Catherine Post, Christina Darnell, Catherine Beatty, and you, Warren. Special thanks to the Beatty Beat and churchleaders.com for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.